Um, we're going to be uh, walking through here just to kind of let you guys know if, if you're new visiting or if you've missed last week. Uh, let me kind of get you caught up to speed as to what is uh, happening in the next number of weeks. Um, normally, our primary diet is just to take a book of the Bible and just walk through it. Uh, we want to see the full counsel of God. We want to see all that God says as He reveals Himself in what is known as His Word. So uh, we're all about the Bible. We're all about the Scriptures. We're all about seeing that Jesus is the center of everything that you see in the Scriptures. And so because Jesus is the hero of the Bible, we want to worship and celebrate Him because He exists in His infinite perfection. So we say a lot here that we worship Jesus by teaching the Bible. We worship Jesus by singing songs. We worship Jesus by observing the Lord's Supper. We worship Jesus by giving. I worship Jesus by praying. Worship Jesus by doing a lot of things. So we don't want to compartmentalize worship. We want us to see that all of life is worship. So we were in the Gospel of Luke uh, for about two years, and and we're going to finish. We're in chapter 16. Uh, It's been awesome. We've just been plowing through the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, what we did was last week we started just taking four to five weeks to stop and and just ask ourselves, why is it that we do what we do here? Now, I'm hoping that that this is a a natural question for you. Like, especially if you're like new to church or new to Christianity, I, I hope that you're like, not just like, oh, okay, this is where the guy gets up and just talks from the Bible, or oh, I guess they just decide to sing songs, or I guess they just decided to, to give, or I don't know where it goes, or what it does, or I guess they bow their heads, close their eyes, and speak chants. Like, I, I hope that you're asking those questions, because there's actually profound reasons why we do all those things. So um, last week, we talked about why we preach. Um, why does somebody get up and preach the Word of God? It's super important that we, that we know why that happens. We talked about how our God is, is totally unique from every other pagan God that existed in that our God, the God of the Scriptures, is a God who communicates, who speaks with His people. And so because He speaks, we preach. Uh, and, and now we're going to roll into why we sing. Okay, now, now I know out of the gate, singing is like, can be super controversial. Like, like what songs and how and why do we swing from the chandeliers? Do we just stand still? Do we, like, what, what does that look like when we sing and when we celebrate God? And so here's what I want to do. I want to try to stay as fixed and tethered to just the basics of the Bible as to why we sing, why we celebrate Him, and what that might look like and how that shapes us um, as a people. And my hope, I'm going to continue to say over the next four to five weeks is this, that it would not just be in formative to you, but transformative. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want you guys to come in here and go, cool, I learned some cute truths last week about, you know, why preaching matters and why that's central to the, the, the gathered church. I, I hope that we were leaving and coming back going, man, I'm coming with a ready heart today. Like, God's about to speak. God's about to say something, right? The, the power of God is found in this book, and he takes fallible men and speaks an infallible word, right? We were, we were just in awe of that, and how God, throughout history, salvation history, he's always done that. And so, uh, this morning, we're going to look at, I'm um, basically a response to the spoken word, which is the sung word, uh, why we sing. Why in the world do we sing together, though? Uh, because, because you can actually absolutely get together just kind of sing by yourself, right? I mean, that's, that's, that can be honored to God as long as you're singing things that, that praise His name, and then we can also get together and sing like this. And so, um, some of you might be saying, geez, I, I, I don't know how much we can really talk about, you know, singing on a Sunday, and I'm really glad you asked. There's actually a lot that we could, we could discuss and talk about. But here are kind of like the three main things. I'm wondering if you've ever thought about this. Um, why does God desire his people to sing? It seems so basic. Why, why, what role does that fulfill in our life? Um, what is it about worshiping God through song that's so important to him? 
So if you look at your Bible, there's over like, I think, 400 references to singing, over 50 commands to sing. It's actually a command, right? We think of the commands like, you know, avoid lust, like don't cuss, don't drink, right? But he commands us to sing. He commands us to extol his name with our lips, to, to rejoice in what he's done. That's actually a, a command from God. We're going to see it's not just this duty that he asks of us, but there's great delight in this because of what it's doing for God and what it's causing um, in us. You know, Jesus sang with his disciples in Matthew 26. I don't know if you guys knew that. His voice must have been killer. I mean, let's just be honest, right? The God-man Jesus singing and extolling the name of his Father as the triune God. Try to, like, wrap your mind around that, right? Um, it's like, Jesus, are you singing to yourself? Are you singing to God? Are you? It was beautiful. There's, there's lots of places. Um, but there's something about music. We know this, right, that binds people together. There's something about music that's super profound, Right, no one in here can, can lie about that, right? Music is deeply emotive, it's deeply meaningful, it's deeply enlightening. I mean, music is something God gave, God created to, to cause us to see things more clearly, to experience, experience things more fully, and it's, it's throughout the scriptures that you're going to see a lot of this, but music is something that, that's profound. I mean, think about all the places people sing, right? And some of them are just weird places, Right, but you have, you know, concerts, you have funerals, you have weddings, you have gatherings, you have all these places where people sing. Basically what they're doing is they're worshiping. They're worshiping something, an idea, a thought, a process, but that's what happens when you sing. When you're at a concert, you're worshiping either the, the, the euphoria that's happening, maybe the band that's playing. You're doing something there that's giving honor or praise to something. And so we need to be very careful when we understand what are the things we should be singing to and giving glory to. And so music is the language of, I think, almost the emotion in every culture of every age. I think it, in some ways, kind of unites people around similar passions and thoughts, right? Um, which is why music is so powerful, and it has a profound effect on us. I mean, I was just thinking this week, um, if you want to memorize something, like when you were younger, what was like one of the first things they would tell you to do? Put it to a song, right? Just put it to a song, then you'll be able to memorize it, right? Um, this is why there's something called the risers. If you're with kids, you don't familiar with this, we just love Jackson, our, our three and a half year old listening to the risers. They just jam out to scripture. They just sing scripture. Those two little cartoon dudes that, that he loves to watch, and you hear him in the back just singing and, and talking about Jesus and the Bible and scriptures, right? There, there's this thing. But, but here's what's so profound about, about song and music, because I was thinking about this the other day about really how deep its, its effects are on us. Let, let's say if I stood up here and, and I just blatantly said, some of you guys just aren't that violent, so you need to be a little bit more violent. Right? Or you're, not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not as immoral as you should be. You should enjoy life a little bit more. Why don't you just kind of indulge in, in the world? Or I mean, You know, drugs are really good. You guys should try them. They're really great. Right? I mean, how would you guys respond to that type of teaching? I mean, I'd, at least 95% would be like, no way, right? I'm fired. My job's gone, right? We're moving somewhere else, and I don't even know if you guys are gathering again, but, but here's the deal. Um, for a lot of you, possibly, I, I throw that on a CD, and you're like, okay, cool. I'll listen to that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll play that. Yeah, that sounds good. Right? You, do you, I mean, are you even aware of that? The way that music can profoundly make you Godward or worldward profound, and so the scripture is going to show us, ultimately, music is to make us Godward, right? So we can see God, enjoy God, extol God in these, in these ways, and so if you look at the scriptures, you'll find the, the book of Psalms, right? Um, and it's, it's basically this book in the Old Testament, and it was actually given to God's people not so much to read and meditate on, but to recite and sing, 
And here's just a couple, just, just a couple. There, there are so many. We're not going to be exhaustive today on what all it means. We're actually going to just look at these couple psalms to give us a groundwork, then roll into the New Testament to two texts in particular that will help us, I think, inform us on why we sing and what it should do for us. But look at just a few of these, Psalm 66, 1 to 2, and you can look at so many. He says, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Psalm 104, 33. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Psalm 96, 1 to 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day today. So you're going to see consistently in the Old Testament and even especially in the Psalms, this book that was given to God's people to, hey, declare what God's done. Celebrate God. Rejoice. Clap your hands, man. Adore him. Extol him. Do it with deep abiding joy. You're going to see this because the head and heart are designed to connect together to stir affections for you for what God has done for you. Now, namely in Christ. And you're going to see this throughout where there's these commands to God's people and also us by extension as his church as he speaking to God's people in the Old Testament that, hey, you're supposed to sing to him. You're supposed to celebrate him. You're supposed to do it with joy. You're supposed to be glad. There should be emotion involved in the ways that you declare his greatness. And so as you roll into the New Testament, Paul speaks to this particularly to the Ephesian and Colossian church. And um, he's just finished talking about how the life and death of Jesus, right, not only profoundly creates this unshakable peace and this, this new nature that you live in, but it also unites us. Um, and then he explains here um, what else we do. So we're going to look at these two. And this is going to be a little bit different than most of my sermons, a little bit more lecture-like, a little bit more with points, right? Some of you guys like that. They'll be on the screen. Uh, so here's what we're going to see. Colossians 3.16. Let's look at both. Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your heart with, to the Lord with all your heart. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to make a couple observations that make a beeline for Jesus, okay? That's where we always have to get. That's where we always have to land. So, so first, I want you to see, before any of that, an important connection in these two texts, okay? That I think is very important, understanding just song, right? Him, him commanding us and exhorting us to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another as we admonish each other, giving thanks to God, okay? So here's what the first thing I want you to see is you have the exact same result in both texts with a different cause, Right? So one is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The other is, be filled with the Spirit. Now, both of those things, you can just keep both on the screen, both of those things actually result in the same effect, which is teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And then gladness and thankfulness to God. So you've got both texts with different starting points ending in the same place. Now, I think this is profoundly important, and, and, and here's why. In other words, I think what, what Paul's getting at, he's writing both these letters to two separate churches, he's getting at this idea of let the truth of Christ, right, permeate your thoughts, your spirit, your will, your decisions, right? That, that's what happens in letting, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? It permeates all of your being to where you exalt God, right? Then you also have in Ephesians, be filled with the spirit, and it accomplishes the same. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the truths of Jesus Christ. Now, why does this matter? It matters because being filled with the Spirit has much more to do with your personal holiness than some mystical experience. 
Now, now that's, I, I know, I might, I might be stepping on a few toes here. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit of God is deeply, you know, inviting, that he doesn't do profound things in our life. But if you look at this, he's getting at you being shaped, pruned, pressed more to the image of Jesus. So to be filled with the word of Christ is to be filled with the Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit of God is the Trinitarian God, who is a truth teacher, Jesus tells us, right? A resident truth teacher that teaches you the truths of Christ. So as it indwells you, it helps you illuminate and understand what those truths mean. Here is why I wanted to say that. is because he shows us this is about personal holiness, which results in singing. Here's what I want to say. So the goal of singing to God is not simply that you might feel or not feel, but so that you might be pressed, formed, shaped more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's God's goal for you. So as you sit under the preached word, like we learned last week, and as you sing songs, the act of singing is actually a part of how you're being grown up into the image that is Jesus Christ. That's crazy. That's awesome. I don't know if you've thought about that, that as you're singing, it's actually a part of teaching and admonishing. You're actually doing that as you sing songs to God. It's it's a profound reality that he is showing us here. And so what that means is as you gaze upon the perfection of Christ revealed in the scriptures, him taking your sin, bearing God's wrath, becoming your substitute, the spirit takes that truth and by his spirit starts to shape you in it, starts to conform you in it. So with that understanding, let's just look at a couple observations, right? Number one, singing is very simply a response to God's revelation. (laughs) It's something God's people have always done. They hear amazing truths about God, and they sing. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us look for the front end to move the back end. So you look for music to move you emotively, right? So let's let the music move us. Well, here's the truth for the Christian. The Christian has something to already move them. Right? You've been saved by grace. You have wrath that was hanging over you that Christ said, I'll take that. You had a payment that was due you in full that you couldn't pay that Christ said, hey, I'll pay that in full for you. You had righteousness you couldn't earn, you couldn't merit, you couldn't pray for, you couldn't gather on yourself. And Christ said, hey, I'll be your champion for you and become that for you. And all of a sudden, your heart wants to sing that. Your heart wants to worship that. So we got to be careful in starting with Christ moves us, not just the music. The music is deeply emotive. It's deeply meaningful meaningful, but you are moved by something into music before a song starts to play. Are you considering the good news of the gospel work in your life that causes you to want to sing and praise his name? We're not going, "Mm, man, I hope the guitar just really riffs today. Well, he might. I hope just everything's on point. It might be, but, but what is fundamentally moving you into causing you to extol the name of God? We respond to God's revelation. And that's why Paul lays out this encouragement, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? He tells us how to live after that, right? He shows us the first is teaching, which we talked about last week, right? Teaching and admonishing with all wisdom, and then you sing. Amazing. So singing is the second form of teaching. So as you're singing, you're actually teaching yourself more truths about God. Now, this is why we try, as best we're able, to sing songs that clearly talk about truths. 
right? We're not going to demonize other people, but, but here, you're going to see there's, there's a large majority of hymns, there's a large majority of just meaty, verbose language, and we want to be saying things that teach us truths about what God has done in Christ. Because singing is a form of teaching. You're teaching your soul things as you sing. What's amazing in this text is you see that singing is one of the two ways that God's word dwells in you richly. That's profound, right? A lot of us think, well, it's the, either the preaching supersedes the music or the music supersedes the preaching. Well, no, you see here that both actually are used by God in his providence to form God's word and dwell it in you richly. So we love to sing because we're actually allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly through the ways that we sing. Not just through the teaching, it's another way to teach. And the reason this is so important is it means it's much more than a warm-up for the sermon or a filler. Let's put this here as a filler. Now you're being taught. Your heart's being shaped. It's being formed as we sing. This means that corporate worship teaches us through what we say and affirm in songs, right? This is why... Some of you, you see people raising hands. You're like, some of you are like, I don't know why they're raising hands. So really, it's just to affirm and say, yes, I believe with all of my being. I'm affirming what I'm saying is true, and I hold to that. Right, you got, you know, in Psalm 96, God tells his people to proclaim God's word to others. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. It means you've owned the message. You're saying, yeah, I'm owning this message. I'm owning this truth about Christ. And we're going to see in a little bit how that actually begins to manifest itself with each other. So singing is a response to God's revelation. We, we hear the word go out, we hear the truths about Christ, and we sing. And we teach our hearts as we sing as well. Number two, a singing heart is a warring heart. Now this is, I don't know that it's likely many of you connected singing with spiritual warfare. But it's very interesting, if you read these passages, both these passages, if you go back in Colossians 3 and back in Ephesians 5, you're going to see Paul list out in both of these, these ways to actually put sin to death. So you have in Colossians 3, this is right before he tells us to sing, he says, put to death, therefore what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He talks about on the count of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in this, so don't lie to each other. You put off the old self. Then he says, put on then in verse 12, as God's chosen ones. He lists out these beautiful virtues and attributes, kindness, humility, patience, love. Here's what's so amazing about, about this reality to me is he's... One, it's one of the only places he'll tell you to murder, right? So you're commanded to murder sin. It's the one thing you're called to kill as a Christian. So you make war on the residual effects of the fall through the power of the gospel, right? He started in the first part of chapter three, right? The shift's been happening, right? You've, your mind is with Christ now. You've received the gospel. You've leaned into him fully for salvation. Now put to death what is earthly in you and put on these different things. Now here's what's amazing. He's talking about in the bottom half attributes and thoughts that are appropriate for someone made new in Christ. And one of those is singing. Like he follows with how you go against the residual effects of sin in your life. And one of those following the habits and minds of a Christian, humility, love, gracious, peace, is singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So, so here's what this is getting at. You can look at Ephesians 5. The appeal to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs comes right off the heels of, hey, the days are evil. 
Don't be foolish, be wise. Walk as wise. So here's what's amazing. You want to know a posture of the Christian that is hated by the enemy? A Christian that sings the glories of what God has done in Christ for them. Do you know that? I mean, that's what we would really find from this text. We just follow the whole train of thought. That by you singing with your voice, all your senses, eyes, ears, emotions, you're, you're focusing them on God and all of his glories and what he's done. I don't know that there's a posture that you could place yourself in that says, I am with Christ, all about Christ, and not for you, not with you. I'm against you, Satan. I'm against the sin that resides in me. I'm against this flesh that I fight daily. The ways that you sing actually is a way that you war against sin. Now, some of you guys, this is like super practical. I mean, because music has so much effect on you, I mean, you know those moments you're feeling super depressed or super glad or whatever. What you pick to sing deeply impacts how you will feel and how you will react, right? I remember when I was in high school and I was like just so upset because, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me or whatever. I would just throw in Linkin Park and I would just yell at people, and, right? I mean, and I thought that was helpful, Right? I, mean, I thought that was formative. I thought, man, this is great, man. It gets my anger out. It gets my rage out. Like, that's what you should do, man. What are you looking at? Just in the car. I don't, I don't just looking at you. I don't know. What are you playing? It sounds like satanic music. I mean, my parents hated it. But, but here's the thing. What I was doing was pushing me worldward. It wasn't pushing me Godward. There was nothing that was going to change me. Nothing was going to help me. Nothing was going to actually help the rage and anger that resided in me, right? Those were just symptoms of a disease, which was sin. And only Christ could come and ramify revive this, the disease, right, within me. So we have to be very, very careful in understanding what we go to and why we do what we do. So if you want to wage war against your sin, sing. Sing things that extol the name of God. If you're feeling downcast and discouraged, put on some music that edifies the name of the Lord and sing to him. Redeem your drive to work through listening to sermons and through listening to song, right? As both of these are used by God to mend and shape your heart. A singing heart is a warring heart. I mean, it's amazing to think about this. I was thinking, you know, it's really hard to lie, lust, covet, cheat, steal when you're singing edifications to God, right? It's kind of hard to do that. It's kind of hard to let the, the sin that entangles you. You don't want to get back at somebody or pay back somebody or revenge and revile. It's hard to do that when you're being filled with truths that reorient you and recalibrate you to something that's more life-giving, more fulfilling, more joy-giving, right, in the gospel, right? It's very hard to do that because by singing, you're teaching your heart. Now, obviously, this is a whole other sermon. We have to get into listening to what appropriately teaches us well theologically, right, in the songs that we pick and what we sing but a singing heart is a warring heart. And that's why we do that together here. You know, we're making war on sin and Satan together when we sing. How awesome is that? That I got brothers and sisters next to me and we're we're singing together and we're aligning our hearts, aligning our affections, aligning our voices, our minds, all of our senses on what God has done in Christ and in that we are making war on sin. Praise God that we get to do that together. That's why we desperately need this gathering. Number three, singing strengthens trials. It also stirs our joy. I think if a lot of us are honest, we, we love to sing when it's just super happy. 
right? Marriage is good, kids are well-behaved, bosses on vacation, bank account's full, right? That's when we love to sing, that's when we love to rejoice, that's when we love to declare things of God. But here's what's amazing. If you actually read the Bible, you see joy and trial being inextricably tied together with singing. So when you're deeply downcast, when you have hard moments, when you have dark nights of the soul, sing. And when you're elated and happy and overjoyed, sing. Look, I don't know if you're familiar with this passage in Acts 16, when, when Paul and Silas are thrown in prison, preaching the gospel. You know what they do when they're in prison? Not something you'd do. Look at this, Acts 16, 25. About midnight, one, you'd either be asleep or doing something. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. <laughs> what? I don't know if, I mean I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm reading this going, man, singing is a way that strengthens weary hearts. Singing God-centered songs. I mean, setting your mind and affection somewhere through song. The beautiful gift of music that God has given us strengthens weak knees in moments of need. You don't need worldly, cultural, you know, musical rhythm to just continue to put, you know, damage upon what's already been damaged. Right? I mean, that's really what it does. It just exasperates. You think you buy the lie, that's somehow healing and helping you, but really it's exacerbating the issue until you tune your heart to something that will fuel praise to God to be reminded of what he's really done in Christ and where really hope is found and where really deepest needs are met. So we want to point our voices there and our thoughts there and our affections there. This is powerful. You know, there's a magazine that I enjoy reading. Maybe some of you think a little bit odd, but Voice of the Martyrs. Um, I've been reading it for almost my full nine years in ministry, there was a guy named Dale who uh, discipled me for a number of years and he always got Voice of the Martyrs magazine. He would always tell me to read it. And I remember thinking, um, why would I want to read that, Dale? I don't think that's going to encourage me. He's like, no, I really think it would encourage you to hear of other brothers and sisters who are imprisoned and persecuted and how God is forming and shaping and molding them. And I began to read these stories and, and here's what's amazing is we have lots of imprisoned and persecuted brothers and sisters that are affirming Acts 16, 25. Let me show you this one excerpt that I read. This is one pastor who was in prison. He said, we were, when we were in prison, we sang almost every day because Christ was alive in us. They put chains on our hands and feet. They chained us to add to our grief. Interesting, right? They chained them to make them grieve. Brilliant. Yet we discovered that chains are splendid musical instruments. <laughs> I just love that. When we clanged them together in rhythm, we could sing, this is the day, clink, clink, this is the day, clink, clink, that the Lord has made, clink, clink, that the Lord... Profound. Profound. <laughs> profound that they would use song, the gift of song, to create joy in their hearts, using the chains that were caused to grieve and shame, to rejoice and praise the living God. It's amazing us, amazing, right? It also helps us in our fight for joy, right? These are always tied together. You have Psalm 511, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. You see that needing refuge, yet all rejoice. Let them sing, ever sing for joy, 
and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you, right? This, this need for protection, yet I'm going to sing over you with joy because you're giving me protection, you're giving me refuge. You see how these two are together? Psalm 63, 7, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. So as I'm in my deepest need of help, I'm still going to sing because it's going to give me joy. There's a crazy verse in James 5, if anyone's cheerful, hey, let him sing praise. You're going to study the scriptures and see that they're always tied together. So if you are struggling for joy in Christ, brother or sister, sing. And if you are overjoyed at the person and work of Jesus Christ, brother or sister, sing. Right? It is something that we do for both in God's beautiful design, his perfect understanding of the human condition. He's bound joy in singing together for his people. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll add this. With this, I would add something here. Um, when the Bible commands us to sing and clap and shout, and make praise to God. He's not asking us to do that because he's had a bad day, right? Like he's not doing it because he needs your praise, he needs your excitement, he needs your joy, right? It's actually a gift to you where he's so designed you and woven you together in the mother's womb that you were birthed from in that the heart that understands deep affections for God and the head that learns the word of Christ that dwells in you richly, as those things come together, music, is supposed to grow you in this love and affection for God. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who says these are religious affections in your singing, right? You should have those. And if you don't have those, you should pray to God to be merciful to you and revive those. Like music is deeply emotive. There is absolutely emotion in singing. I mean, it is designed by nature to create vibrant passion in your soul. Now, we're going to discern that and experience that the ways we're wired in very different ways. But if there's just straight apathy in your heart during song, you need to pray that God would revive that. If there's just monotonous and normalcy and you're just, you feel nothing, you need to plead with God, repent of that apathy in your song to God and ask him to revive that. Ask him to stir in you and, and give you joy. There's something that happens when we give ourselves over to sing and praise and rejoice. It's how God has connected our head in our hearts. I mean, it can, it can do the most profound things and subtle things, right? You think about what Saul, I think it was David, who played his harp to calm him, right? Music is used absolutely to calm you, to excite you, to embolden you, to give you passion. I mean, there's commands, I mean, throughout the Psalms that our bodies are involved in the act of worship, I think singing with no emotion is an oxymoron, biblically. If there is zero emotion in your soul, I believe that's an oxymoron. I believe we need to pray and ask God to revive us and give us hope for that. I think we can grow in this as a church. I'm just being honest. Looking around the room. Do you know what you're singing? Right, do you know what you're saying? Do you know what those, those words are talking about? Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. I got nothing else. I mean, when all is said and done, it's all going to burn and waste away, and I'm going to have Christ and glory. That's all that's left for me. That's true. That's real. That's actually coming, man. I'm going to celebrate that, that even in my darkest day today, I still have the one unshakable foundation, which is Christ. Hallelujah. Right? So you say it, and you appeal to it, and you ask God to help you when you don't feel it, and you don't want to say it. 
God, help me, because he promises that'll produce joy, it'll strengthen you in trial, and it will help you war against your sin. So God, help me in that. It's amazing as we sing. God's worthy of our thing. I I would say God's worthy of our highest, purest, and strongest emotions. We go to loony places and sing our faces off. (laughs) What, you come in here and you can't do that? That's weird. (laughs) Really? You're going to scream your face off as a pigskin gets pushed down the field, right? And all the songs that come on in the stadium, but man, if I come in here, I don't want someone to see me. They're going to see me sing. Like, it's not about the skill of your voice. It's about that God's giving you a song. I heard a pastor once say that God has redeemed a universal choir and that he's given us a song to sing, and it's Christ and him crucified. So it's not, can you sing? It's, do you have a song? Yeah, you do if you're a Christian. And it's the best song that can be sung. Amazing. And and here's why it's so hard. I mean, you can sing theologically profound truths and not be affected, right? In the same way, you can be super emotionally stirred, but not spiritually enlightened. So so here's how I want to help you, right? If you're singing, you're like, man, I just don't even know why I'm feeling this way or why I'm feeling... You want something to teach you as to why you're feeling that. So if you leave going, man, I just feel so much peace. Incredible. Well, no, the the peace shouldn't just be some musical theory. The peace should be that you just learned that wrath stood over you and you're before the throne of God. Christ alone is your champion. That gives me peace today. In Christ alone, my hope is found. When I have unrest and I have dark days. You're being informed by something. So peace, humility, meekness, praise, joy, it's all being taught by something. You're being spiritually enlightened that causes you to feel and causes you to act appropriately. Last thing, I know this might seem obvious to some of you, but singing glorifies God. (laughs) I mean, here's what's awesome. If you're ever wondering why God does anything, right, or why he has ordained anything, Guess what the answer is? Bring glory to his name. Okay? I mean, you can just read the Bible from cover to cover, and you're going to see the whole point of anything and everything is to bring great glory, praise, adoration to God who exists in infinite perfections. He, he has glory. He has supreme worth, supreme value. We're the glory thieves. We want to be God and not him. We have belittled his name and all that he is and all that he's done. And so we are the ones who are glory thieves, wanting to be our own gods and build up our little trophies. And he's going, man, you got something so much better to worship, something so much better to be caught up in, and it's me. You can have me. And so singing actually points to that. So as you respond to God's revelation through song, as you dig deep as the word of Christ dwells in you richly, as it strengthens your weak knees in trial, as it grows you in joy, all of that does what? It brings glory to God because he's the one you're singing to. You're actually singing to somebody. (laughs) Amazing. I was thinking of Revelation 7, right? Where, where I think John describes eternity with every tribe, tongue, nation, just, just saying how awesome Jesus is, right? And in the age of constant distraction, this is what music does. It reminds you as to who you're singing to and the worth of the one you're shouting at and praising and adoring, right? So let me ask you just a simple question. When you sing together corporately, that could even be, you know, just individually, but I'm, I'm speaking more corporately. When you sing, <laughs> do, 
Do you, do you think about that you're actually singing to God? That the words you're saying are actually going somewhere. That the throne room hears your voice. That God delights in that. Look at my kids sing. Look at my kids sing. Look at them being strengthened in song. Look at them using the gift of music to adore me and praise me and worship me. Man, look at the ways that it's stirring in them joy. Look at the way it's recalibrating their mind. Look at the way it's helping them make war on their sin and their flesh. Through the power of my Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit as we sing, as the word of Christ dwells in you richly as we sing. Amazing. That's why Ephesians says, singing and making melody to the Lord. I know he wants to state the obvious. You're singing to somebody. You're actually not just making random melodies and songs just to like conjure up an audience. You're actually doing it to somebody. He's actually listening. And here's what is so profound to me. I hope it is to you. Yes, we sing vertically to God, but why do we sing together? Yes, you sing vertically to God, but you're also singing horizontally to each other. And to me, this, this is one of the things that just I love. Because in Ephesians and Colossians, it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, so here's what's happening. As we gather corporately here, yes, we're singing to God. Is God absolutely honored and glorified as we sing to him in private? Totally. But there's something about the corporate nature of us coming together and declaring praise together that brings glory to God and is, a, is applicable to the scriptures. So, so here, the overriding theme of scripture, if you read Singing are people singing together. Overriding, right? I mean, yes, you can do it when you're alone, but there's an overriding telltale in the scriptures that says, hey, when you gather together, let the congregation sing of my praises, sing of my name. And he says here, address one another in this way. So here, here's what that means for us. Hebrews 2 says it this. He quotes Psalm 22. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Something so powerful during our time of singing is I've seen some of you who have dealt with inexpressible shame and I watch you say, Christ is my righteousness. I, I, I look and I see some of you who, who have had inexpressible loss and hardship and experienced death and job loss and just relationship toil and I watch you say in Christ alone my hope is found he is my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm to the fiercest drought and storm you want to know what that does for me I don't know what it does for you you know what it does for me it bolsters my faith it strengthens my weak knees to see other brothers and sisters declaring and agreeing, saying, I'm with you in this. I agree with this message. We're singing to each other. You're not just singing to God. You are absolutely singing to God, but we're also together singing to each other. How awesome is he? How great thou art. Remember that today, right? I mean, that's what we're doing. That's what we're stirring each other with. I love this. I'm reminded of these times. There are times I'll, I'll pause and just listen to you sing and thank God for the truths that you're saying. 
I'll just let it minister to me. Now, I want to be sure in all this we understand something. Um, music is not what fundamentally unites us. Songs are not fundamentally what unites us. The good news of Jesus Christ is what fundamentally unites us. Okay, we, we, ha- we have to get there because, because styles, traditions, all those different things, that's not fundamentally what unites us. It is that Jesus Christ was crucified and ransoms us to glory through the person and work of his son. And so I, I would guard against gathering in churches solely based on your musical preference. And more gather with it in the unity you have in the great gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that is preached, heralded, and it is solid and it is outworking, then I would say unify in that. And then work towards good, solid music that helps you unify in that. But that's what's profound here in the scriptures throughout. You see Paul say it last week. There's one thing that's preeminent. There's one thing of first importance. It's the good news that Christ died, Christ rose. He unites us. Don't get that wrong. Okay? You can't go off on traditions and sex and stuff with that. That stays firm and straight and narrow through the whole course of redemptive history, right? Jesus is the hero. When everyone's singing, amazing, Revelation 5, every tribe, tongue, nation's up there singing something, right? I don't know what their musical preferences were on the earth, right? But in heaven, it's all around the lamb that was slain. So here's the thing. Is Jesus the center of what you sing? Is him being crucified, risen, wrath-absorbing, slaughtered Christ, is he what really is the cause and center of your worship and words? Is that what it circles around, right? The lamb must always be central to our corporate singing. Why? (laughs) Because Jesus is the one who makes it possible for you to say anything to God. (laughs) So you better praise him. He's the only reason you can praise God. Because God sent his son to deliver you from the payment of sin. And so we extol the name, the lamb that was slain. Amazing. Just so you have time, just read Revelation 5. The host of heaven. They're not united in their style of music. They're united in the words that they say. Now let's make a beeline for Jesus and, and, and land the plane here. And then we're going to get a chance to practice. Practice singing and enjoying God. Here's what's amazing. One of my favorite places in the Bible just to read when I think of singing, is this unbelievable truth that God sings over me. You read Zephaniah? Some of you are like, Zephaniah? Is that a book? Yeah, that's a book. That's end of the Old Testament. It's a prophet. It says that he sings over us. It says he rejoices over you with loud singing. He doesn't shout at you. He shouts over you. Let's just read it. And the reason he can sing over us is because of his great gospel work. Zephaniah 3, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is with you. You shall never again fear evil. On the day they will say to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is with you a mighty one who will, who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will rejoice over you with loud singing. Okay, so what's the how and why behind the singing, rejoicing, being glad? God says, here, your judgments have been removed. <laughs> now that's awesome. 
Christ actually being your champion, standing in your place, is what gives God the joy, delight to sing and shout over you. That he's thrilled in that. And that what causes, an aspect of God delighting in that is he sings. Now, I don't know what that looks like, what that sounds like. I'm sure it's perfect. I mean, he's God. But I mean, just the fact that it's just delight in God over his kids singing. Because he removes punishment from us. This is, this is so profound. Here's what I love this. It, it really is just a full circle. I mean, fundamentally, you sing because you've been ransomed by Christ, right? And because you've been ransomed by Christ, you sing to God. And God sings over you because you've been ransomed by Christ, who he sent. And it's just this amazing circular song that happens. It's almost like as we're singing, as we're declaring delight in God for what he's done in Christ, he's singing over us as we sing to him. That's crazy. And that he delights in doing that. That he rejoices over you with gladness. Not because of you, but because of Christ in you. Because of what Christ has secured in you. If you're in Christ, brother or sister, the verdict has already been laid. It's amazing to think about the mighty one did save you. He is rejoicing over you right now. He did quiet you with his love. And he does right now loudly sing over you. Here's what I want to end on. If, if you're in Christ, this is what this means, that whatever you walk in, hardship, suffering, difficulty, it is never punitive, but always formative. God's primary goal, circling back to Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, is to form in us and make us more in the image of Jesus. He is not punishing He is forming. He is kind. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is everlastingly delighting over you as he does his gracious, kind work in you to make you more in the image of Jesus. So we see the affections of God here being formative for us. And this is fundamentally why we sing and why we shout and why we rejoice. We don't do it all because of what we've received in God and Christ. I mean, this is why we sing. Fundamentally, if, if you want to just boil it down after it brings glory to God, you sing because you're a person who's been made new in the personal work of Jesus. That's why you sing. That's why the highest, purest form of song created by God who made music, made rhythm, made theory, made all those things, the highest, purest form of adoration for fullness of meaning and joy has to be for the Christian that sings about something divine, otherworldly that has taken part in them that they couldn't do inside of themselves or outside of themselves. God had to intervene and do it. And when he made you new, he put this song on your heart that bursts forth and says, God, you're amazing. I don't even understand all of this but I'm going to declare your worth because you've made me new. You've freed me from sin, put me in a new family, adopted me. I'm a co-heir. I get glory. I get heaven. I get mansion. I get riches. I get you. I get all of that because of what you've done. So I'm going to celebrate you. And as you do that, it brings about joy in the most unexpected places. It resolves 
ache, hurt, pain dissolve in the most unexpected places. Music is profound because God gave it and he gave it for reason that we would do it together and do many things that are divine and encourage and edify and build us up. So thinking about that last truth, there, there are some of you, I'm sure, you feel totally stagnant in your relationship with Jesus. And I don't know all the reasons why, but it might be, it might be, you just can't settle into that. Whether it's past, history, aches, sin, shame, regret, guilt, you just can't get over, there's no way that's true. That he sings over me, that he delights in me if I am in Christ. So what you gotta do is you gotta do the homework. Well, who's really lying? Is God lying or are you lying? Because God died for you, it says in the scriptures, before you were even born, before you even knew you or knew what you would do. So who's really honest? Who's really authoritative? Who really has the clout to say, yeah, I covered that? Jesus or you? Now continue to say, do you see what an arrogant position it is to wallow in shame and self-pity and never embrace and run to the cross of Christ? That's as arrogant as the religious Pharisee saying, I don't need that because I'm righteous. Well, you couldn't cover that because my sin and my shame is too big for you. How arrogant. No sin is too great. No shame is too big or deep or long for Christ not to cover that. So my encouragement to you is maybe instead of fighting him on the affection he offers in Christ, maybe you settle into that and just trust him that it's true. I mean, I think all the time, right? I was thinking actually this week, there, there are a few weeks that go by, and I'm gonna just embarrass my wife for a minute. There are a few weeks that go by that I often think to myself, when I asked Kristen to spend the, life, the rest of her life with me, she said yes. I can't believe she said yes. Look at me. That is such a profound yes to me. That her knowing me better than any of you know me or will ever know me, she said I'm in. And there are times where you know what I have to do? I have to shut up and stop fighting it and just settle into it and just find it utterly unbelievable that she made a covenant with me and promised to be with me. We've battled through seasons of loneliness and our move up this way to plant this church in the Northeast through struggle, through trial, through loss, through, through, through really hard nights, right? That she says, I'm in. There are times you have to stop warring against that and just ask the Holy Spirit of God to help you to believe that. He rejoices over you with his love. He's quieted you. Some of you, you've got really hard hearts towards God. And some of you, you need him to quiet you with his love. You need to shut up. And stop trying to judge God and make accusations and actually think honestly and look at the scriptures and be intellectual with your, intellectually honest with yourself and say, hold on, does this add up? I had great friends who came alongside me and were loving enough to show me all the holes in my other beliefs outside of the Bible to help me see why the Bible was firm and true and healthy and right and good. Maybe some of you need to stop because you've been thinking to yourself, I don't know, if God exists, if God is really good, if God is all-knowing, if it's God is real, I mean, I've got to ascend to him somehow. I've got to try through rites and merits and, and prayers. Something's got to be done, right, to appease him because every belief system I've ever seen has appeasement in it. And here's the truth about Christianity, which I want you to hear loud and clear. This God is not a God who says, hey, yeah, ascend to me. He says, no, I'll descend to you. 
I'll come down here. I'll bear the weight of your sin. I'll live perfectly obedient for you because you can't do it. The wrath that hangs over you, I'll appease for you. Put it on myself. The debt you can't pay, I'll pay it in full. I'll die. I'll rise. I'll validate all of that and adopt you into a family with a perfect father that will delight over you with singing and ransom you from Satan's sin and death. Not by anything you do, but fully upon what I do. So your song can be, I'm chosen, I'm loved, I'm adopted, I'm freed. That's what we do when we sing. So if that's you, call out to God. Ask him to examine your heart because wrath can be removed, righteousness can be given, debt can be paid, accounts can be credited, appeasement can be met, grace can be given, mercy can be extended, faith can be exerted. This is fundamentally why we sing and praise and clap and shout and give praise to God because he's done that. And so we're gonna do that in just a moment. We're gonna practice that together. Before we do that, you know that we love to observe what's called the Lord's Supper. And I want you to remember the reason that you can sing is based upon what you're observing. You can sing and shout and praise and clap because Christ broke his body, shed his blood. So you could be ransomed into a family, into a church that praises and gives glory to God. Amazing. And here's what I want you to hear. Um, this is absolutely exclusive in one sense. This is only for... Those who have trusted in Jesus, meaning you became a Christian, meaning you have him as Lord and Savior. He is your allegiance. You were bought with a price. You said, I can't earn anything. I can't. I've been an idolater. I've been a glory thief. I realize that I can't merit forgiveness and grace and mercy. You alone do that. I invite Jesus, right? You trust Jesus. You lean into Jesus alone for all of that payment, all of that righteousness. And then you say, you're God. My allegiance is yours. You call the shots. Here's another thing I want you to hear, though. So don't come to the table if you're not a Christian in that sense, but it's also totally inclusive. That forgiveness can be had for you this morning. Like mercy can be found this morning. Adoption can be given to you this morning if you repent of sin and turn to Christ. Ask God to grace to reveal his saving work to you and trust him and embrace him and fall into him. Let's ask God for help, and then we're gonna sing, praising him for what he's done. God, thank you that you're a God that saves. And thank you that because you're a God who saves, who has quiet us with his love, who has helped us in our rebellion and in our idolatry by resolving the sin that indwelled us, God, thank you that you are given praise. Thank you that that truth of Christ and him crucified is what moves us to sing. Father, I pray that we would examine our hearts this morning before approaching the table for those of us who are Christians who love Jesus, who've embraced him as God, Savior, King, Lord. That we check some inventory and see what our hearts are like. Lord, where are the lies that we believed about you and where are the truths we need to be reminded of about you? God, would you help us as we sing to you in a few moments with a full understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing it? And God, would you grow us in this? Would you help us in this? Would you teach us in this? It's for the glory name we pray. Amen.